From ESPN Films and ESPN Audio, you're listening to 30 for 30 Plus, presented by the Mini Countryman. My name is Jody Avergan. This is our series of bonus podcasts in between seasons, conversations between me and filmmakers about some recent 30 for 30 films. We'll be doing these in the run-up to our next season of Original Documentaries, which launches on November 14th. This week on 30 for 30 Plus, the story of heavyweight boxer Tommy Morrison. You might know that name from a few high-profile moments in his career. His starring role in the movie Rocky V as a fiery upstart who hoists the heavyweight belt, his real-life championship fight against George Foreman in 1993, or the HIV diagnosis that cut his career short. But Tommy's full story is more complex, marked by self-inflicted wounds, a perpetual state of comeback, and his exhilarating fighting style. If he had self-discipline, and if he had, you know, made great decisions, I think he could have won the belt a couple more times. That's Gentry Kirby, who, along with Aaron Leiden, directed the new 30 for 30 on Tommy Morrison titled Tommy. It details Morrison's life and 2013 death through the eyes of the people who pushed him to fulfill his potential. When we'd go to a fight with Tommy, it was almost like reaching the finish line. It's very tense, but it's also a sense of relief with Tommy because we got him here. You know me from Rocky Five. In real life, I'm Tommy the Duke Morrison. You have a kid that's on top of the world who is a rock star. And in one moment's time, in one day, people run from you. So this is particularly exciting to be talking with Aaron Leiden and Gentry Kirby, two of ESPN's own who directed this film, Tommy. And because you're two of ours, and I've seen a little bit of the process of this, I can reveal that this film took four years is that right to yes, put together almost we started in october of 2013 so i guess my question in starting there is like was there so, is there something about this particular film and this topic that felt like it needed that much time i would say the time wasn't intentional but it ended up being beneficial we started off knowing there wasn't any urgent need for it tommy had passed so this story was pretty evergreen at that point but i think we found that being able to get close to some of the people that were close to him and gaining their trust and just learning more about his life um, and his story, that time definitely served as well in that department. Yeah. Let's talk about his career from growing up in was, what part of Oklahoma well, was it? Well, he was born in Gravit, Arkansas, and probably lived there till I guess, about age 10 or so, or maybe 11, and then moved to uh, Jay, Oklahoma, which is in mm-hmm. Delaware County, eastern Oklahoma. Yeah. One of the interesting things just you, throughout this film is you kind of can track also the evolution of boxing itself and certainly boxing being a very different than it is now. But this idea that he grew up where boxing was this like small regional sport. With Morrison boys, we all started boxing in 1976. Every town in northwest Arkansas, northeast Oklahoma, southwest Missouri, any town big enough to have a school, there was going to be boxing team around for the kids in that area it almost seemed like it was like a little league of boxing that that's what these kids did he was started at i believe age eight had his first fight remember rocky had just come out in Mm -hmm. 1976 
the 76 Olympics in Montreal was big for Sugar Ray Leonard and the Spinks brothers winning gold. So there was a culture of boxing was a big thing. And it was a culture in his family as well. His grandfather was a boxer. It was definitely in his blood, I would say, the boxing. Yeah, it would just be like growing up in a basketball family or football family. A lot of people know that he kind of burst onto the scene in Rocky Five, which sort of helped jumpstart his career, though his career was, you know, kind of taking off already. It wasn't just like they picked a totally obscure person to put in this Rocky Five movie. I forget how many fights he had fought when he got cast in Rocky, but I know he was undefeated at the time. He had had a knockout in almost every fight that he had had up until Rocky. So um, he was on the rise, I would say. Being attached to Sylvester and that Rocky label was critical to him getting the kind of national recognition that he needed to take his career to the next level. And so he's obviously very, you know, a very good boxer and he rises through the ranks. And one of the things in just watching this footage is just the power with which he can throw his left is it, a, is it a hook? Is it a jab? What was his signature It's a left hit? hook. I just saw something from the ABA, American Boxing Association, uh-huh. or something that he was rated the best left hook in the history of boxing. Yeah. No one can argue with his left hook that it was one of the best ever in the heavyweight division. I mean, what was it like to just go find this old footage and see that punch over and over? I love that. I'm an archive geek, archival footage geek. I just love being able to find stuff. And and we had tons. I mean, the, the ESPN has the Big Fights Library, and we were lucky. He's fought a lot on ESPN in the early mm-hmm. days. He had mad offensive skills. We saw him reel off multiple combinations and knock people out in stunning fashion. People are drawn to boxing because of styles. I'm a very exciting fighter to watch. Tommy's a celebrity, he's a star, but he's also a young kid who has no clue how to handle that. You know, throughout this film, you see how he's battling demons and, you know, he's sleeping around, he's getting drunk and his you know managers have to go fetch him in the middle of the night. Was that a product of something about him or was that a product of mm-hmm. what inevitably happens when, you know, a 20-year-old makes a bunch of money and starts getting famous. That's, that's a, a good question. That's a good question. Yeah. I would say he was already like that before that. Uh, his brother talked about how he had an addictive personality. And so he had already, he drank to get drunk in high school, mm-hmm. not just to have a good time. So that was already there. You know, we had a section on Tommy's entourage. Tommy enjoyed having people around him. Tommy didn't like to be alone, ever. When we think about it, sometimes we like all boxers have entourages. You know, this is not something, you know, particular right. to Tommy, but his extremes were even more extreme than others. Like, I mean, a lot of athletes kind of exhibit similar behavior, but Tommy kind of took it to a new level. One thing about Tom, I mean, he made sure everybody had a good time. He was in the news on a weekly basis, getting in trouble and partying. The Morrison camp is very upset about an article that portrayed Morrison as a, quote, party animal. He had a really good support system once he got into his career with mm-hmm. his trainer, Tommy Virgitz and Tony Holden. But he had already learned a lot of bad behavior. And as Tommy Virgitz said, he just lived in the moment. Tomorrow was too far away. He just made a, made a mistake. But again, he had good intentions, but just a little misguided. And there were people telling him, Tommy, don't do this. And he would look him in the eye and go, I know, I know, I'm going to change. And then the next day, it was different. Yeah, they tried. We asked that so many questions. Like, didn't you try to, like, go to bring him to rehab or, you know, tell him not to do this? And they would just, you know, 
they tried over and over and over and it was just and that i think was also part of the story is very telling that they didn't give up on him like people rarely walked away from him they kept in his life and they kept at it um and that was always interesting to me as to why people you know even though they were disappointed time after time they stayed with him tommy reinvented himself every fight he would always say you know i'm starting over i partied too much i've learned on it and now I'm moving forward and I'm happy and, you know, I'm looking forward to the life I have now. It never ended. With the help of God and, and a lot of support from my family, I was able to turn my life around and now things are completely different. Tommy Morrison summons the power today and it saves him in the ninth round. When you look back at Tommy Morrison's career, every time something would happen that didn't work well for him, they went right back to the drawing board. They got him back in fights. Oh, a good right hand by Morrison, and that hurts Joe Hip. Joe Hip is in trouble. Joe Hip is down. In the heavyweight division, you're always one fight and one punch away from getting back in. A lot of the story is about Tommy getting right to the brink of success and then either some external force but often an internal force you know pulls him back from that failure after failure after failure i don't know we've we kind of debated at some points is there an element of self-destructive behavior Mm -hmm. there you know as he got close to that success was there something inside him that triggered you know a bad decision that would you know prevent him from kind of attaining that success that he was after and he was married to two women at the same time at one point that is true. Both named Don. Both named Don. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's complicated yeah. <laughs> because supposedly he was engaged to other women as well. It was kind of wild because it was Don Freeman married him in May, and I think it was in September he married Don Brady. So it didn't take him long to. I guess he just maybe he was addicted to marrying. I don't know, addictive well, so personality. Right. Um, At some point, someone yeah. says he was a sex addict and said that you know he probably slept with like one different woman every day. Um, his mother said that his father was married to two women at one time. Yeah. Yeah. And there's this remarkable scene you want to talk about this where I guess Tommy's brother talks about some advice he got from from his father. When I was, I want to say thirteen, they were having the back to school dance. And I wanted to go to the dance, and I asked Dad. He showed up at the dance all along about midnight. When he was standing there, a girl come up to me and was wanting to go outside with me and fool around. And I was like, no, 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 my girlfriend, she was over there, you know. And, and he told me, boy, don't you ever let me hear of you turning a woman down again. I'll whoop your ass myself. That's how we were raised. This anecdote really just sort of tells it all in a sense that his father, with his attitude towards sex and all, was really one of the biggest role models in Mm -hmm. a negative way towards Tommy. Yeah, and Tommy's uncles who were in the film, Troy and Trent, also told some stories just about how there'd be like pornography laying around the house. And, you know, what did they say? It wasn't like Hardy Boys books, you know, in their rooms. So let's talk about the sort of big pivot point in his life and in this movie. It's, you know, right on the brink of probably his biggest fight of his career. Describe that moment for us. 
he had just signed a deal with Don King for three fights, and it was to end with a fight with Mike Tyson, who was recently out of prison. So he was set up to fight one of those lead-up fights. The first of those fights with Don King was with Arthur Stormy Weathers in Vegas. They got to Vegas. He takes the blood test for the physical, and he finds out he tests positive for HIV. So it's a pretty stunning moment when you think of it. Um, and this was in what year? This was in 1996. It was February of 1996. First of all, I can thank everybody for being here today. I've taken the action to have more extensive tests run. And I was informed just a little while ago that uh, those tests do in fact confirm that I have tested positive for the HIV virus. If there's anyone out there that feels that they have come in contact with me either directly or indirectly, I would truly encourage them to get themselves tested. They set up a switchboard in Kansas City all these women could call in and get tests, you know? I mean, there was tons of women that came out of the woodwork. You sort of hint at it in the film, and I kind of, it's kind of a swirling thing, about whether he maybe knew prior to that test that he had HIV. I mean, he plays it as if it's a surprise, right? People talk, people talk about sort of breaking the news to him and he acts surprised. We had heard kind of some stories that people insinuated that he might have known. We never found any proof. We went back and saw the last time he had been tested, I believe it was 1993, in front of the Foreman fight, also in Vegas, because not all states tested for HIV at the time. So we were for sure knew um, he was not positive in 1993. I guess what I would say is that the mother's bite really is what I think we believe is the truth, which is he's suspicioned. He did not know for sure, but we talked about it. And I said, have you went and got a test? And he said, no, I've got to concentrate on my career. And really, that is a, you know, not a great thing if he did think that and still went and slept with every woman that he could. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, to ground it in the sort of time and what, what we as Americans, you know, knew about HIV at that point, I mean, it's important to remember that context, that it was really thought of as, you know, a, a, a white heterosexual, you know, alpha male would never get HIV, right? right? Describe the ripple effect that has in, you know, his his various communities. Well, I think in his, you know, he was from small town, Oklahoma. Um, in those communities, I think there was a lot of fear. Um, we heard stories, too, that, like, people didn't want to go to the gym that he worked out. Kind of those typical stories you would hear from the 90s of people just being afraid to, you know, shake his hand. I think Tommy did feel ostracized because of that, and he felt there was a stigma. Pre-HIV Tommy, you know, everyone was around. I mean, everybody wanted to be around him. Everyone wanted to shake his hand. Everybody wanted to kiss him. Post-HIV Tommy, you know, everybody started walking away. Nobody wanted to touch him. Nobody wanted to be around him. It just really, really hurt him. It hurt him inside. It really did. In the community who was ostracized in boxing, it was pretty clear cut. You yeah. know, with Magic Johnson, there had been a discussion afterwards his basketball save. Okay, they, they, you know, the athletes bleed. They got to come off. Boxing, there's no discussion here. It is, it is a contact blood sport. As Ray Mercer says in the film. So it was pretty much over for him. I don't even think there was much of a, a controversy of like, oh, let him keep on fighting. Whereas Magic Johnson came back to play again. Yeah. Tommy, it was it was over. 
After the break, we'll discuss how Tommy Morrison came to believe in a number of dangerous conspiracy theories about HIV and how his denial fueled an ill-fated comeback attempt. AIDS and athletes are in the news again today. It's been confirmed that the heavyweight boxer Tommy Morrison has tested positive for the virus that causes AIDS. There was a certain point in time in my life that I lived a very reckless lifestyle. I hope that I can serve as a warning that living this lifestyle can only lead to one thing, and that's misery. To all my young fans out there, I'd ask that you no longer see me as a role model, but see me as an individual that had the opportunity to be a role model and blew it. You, you've mentioned Magic Johnson a couple times. I think it's, an, it's obvious to sort of think about that in, the, in this context. It was a few years earlier. But how, how do you compare the way that these two athletes dealt with this news and having to talk about it publicly? Yeah, in the wake of when he gets, you know, test positive, they get connected to Dr. David Ho, who was Magic's doctor, HIV doctor at the time. And he saw Dr. Ho. Dr. Ho offers to treat him. But Tommy just didn't want to do it. So he basically has this, like, golden opportunity to get treated by one of the leading, if not the preeminent, HIV doctor at the time. The Magic Johnson thing is a great symbol of here is a man who gets HIV, and instead of running away from it, he attacks it. Now look at him now. But both in terms of taking care of himself, but also sort of realizing he has a platform. Yes. Tommy had a way of making bad decisions, and I think that was one of them. Um, And it set him on a different path. Even as early as then, I think he started to have some doubts about whether he was HIV positive, whether the disease existed. He would call me constantly and... During the conversations we would have, he would always start wanting to argue the HIV issue. And as I always told him, I said, Tommy, you've got HIV. Maybe he thought if the disease never existed and it's all a conspiracy, he can go back to who he was. 2007, at our divorce hearing, he got up there on the stand and admitted he was HIV positive. You know, and this was during the time that he was telling people that he wasn't. It's odd that he would face all these other difficult challenges in his life, getting in the ring and fighting guys that were so tough. And and when he was diagnosed, having the opportunity to take that head on and fight it and chose not to do that. He just didn't have a plan B. People use the word delusional. And some people use the word escapist. Uh, But he, you know, kind of starts to convince himself that he doesn't have HIV. What's going on there? There was a book. Dom Brady, she said, I want to find this person that sent us this book. That it was a denialist book. And that's what really got him started on this. I can't remember the name of the book. But it's interesting because he was kind of looking for rational justification for this sort of refusal to believe that like I, who have always been the strongest person I know and can sort of accomplish anything physically, would be felled by this disease. But he was like actually going and trying to find literature that would back that up. 
Yeah, it's oh, fight yeah. or flight. It's yeah. fight or flight. Yeah. And his way to escape it was to find the answer that he wanted. Mm-hmm. And so I think he just, yeah, and I think he wanted that answer. And I think he also funneled that into like that, having that answer would then allow him to box. My purpose is to come back and I want to win one heavyweight championship title. I think it'll be the greatest comeback in the history of boxing. You know, someone that was virtually given a death sentence 12 years ago, coming back and winning the title. The comeback was a constant battle because the thing that was looming, no matter what fight he scheduled, was this medical test and these blood tests that he was never going to pass. They wanted me to fight him one time over in Canada, but I was not going to fight anybody who had AIDS and wasn't tested. I wasn't going to do that. That's a blood sport boxing. He saw his career as kind of unfinished business, like that it was snatched away from him. And I think he, it almost gave him a purpose in an odd way. Well, that's where it's it's a little complicated because maybe it's not just all about escapism. In that way, he is like any other athlete that eventually has to hang it up. It's like, what do I do? Boxing was really all he knew. He went yeah. to Kansas City at age 19 and he didn't know anything else. So in that sense, he's like any other athlete when they step away from the sport is like, what can I do? It took him a long time to finally give up on boxing. And I think that's when things went really wrong for him. Former heavyweight boxing champion Tommy Morrison died last night following a prolonged illness. Tommy Morrison was 44. His death certificate said it was cardiac arrest. Doctors will tell you, though, that a person doesn't die of AIDS, per se. They die of complications of the disease. So, Aaron, not to put you on the spot, but you said that he was a little misguided, but had good intentions. <laughs> I mean, I'm just curious because there's another version of looking at Tommy and just being like, what a screw up. Yeah. Like yeah. Th- this, this guy, like I don't, shouldn't care about him right. at all. Exactly. But it sounds like. No, and I don't want to come off. Come I, to care about well, him. Well, I, I, I think it's more through the people that we've, you know, met over these years. I feel like that's the impression they give that. Yeah. I mean, he did some terrible, terrible things. I'm not sure if it was, you know, he didn't quite have the moral compass. Maybe he knew right from wrong, but he just didn't know how to, to actually execute that in his life. But I guess when I think back to like his upbringing, the circumstances, I, I don't want to say like I apologize. It's, you know, I just kind of understand, I guess. I'm the less diff- of an apologist I know, for he him. Is, he is. He's tougher <laughs> on him. But I think I yeah. understand the difficulties that he had in having to make those good decisions. I don't know. I think there's something about him. There was like he had a weird charisma that I think some people have that even though you know they're like you know, wrong and making wrong decisions or something that like there's a soft spot there. People stuck with him for years. I think though that, you know, someone said, oh, is this a cautionary tale? And I go, yeah, a little bit. At the same time, I think Tommy's totally unique, Mm -hmm. meaning he never learned. He constantly (laughs) said he was going to do the right thing and then he would just go back to the old way. So in that sense, I don't really think it's a cautionary tale because nothing was ever going to really teach him. The boxing ring is a very small area but it's bigger than you and me will ever know. Lives changed there. It's a sad story, and it could have gone so much different. It could have been a lot better as a fighter and as a person and had led a more fulfilled life if he would have made some better choices. You know me from Rocky V. In real life, 
I'm Tommy the Duke Morrison, a heavyweight with 24 knockouts, and I'm going to the top. Aaron Lydon and Gentry Kirby directed and produced the new 30 for 30 film, Tommy. You can find the film on iTunes and in the ESPN app. We've included a link to that in the show description. Just click and you can start watching right now. And again, if you haven't listened to our podcast documentaries, you can hear them at 30for30podcast.com slash season one or click the link in the show description. Remember, season two launches with our first episode on Tuesday, November 14th. My name is Jody Avergan. This episode was produced by Andrew Parsons with help from Ryan Nantel, Vin D'Anton, and Kate McCullough. We had additional production support from Aaron Leiden, Jenna Anthony, Jennifer Thorpe, Colin Fleming, Taylor Barfield, Tony Chow, and Alex Bowen. Our theme music is by Rishikesh Hirway of Song Exploder. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more 30 for 30 Plus.